podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Welcome to another episode of the Serie Chronicles podcast. Every time I now introduce the show, I think of that Tesco lorry and <laughs> because of the outtakes. And now I'm just sort of disappointed that it's all nice and quiet for me. Um, but either way, welcome to another episode of, of our show. I'm Mina Rizuki and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Nikki Bandini. Hello, Nikki. I feel like I need to try and make a beeping noise like a lorry now. Like, boop, boop, make me to feel <laughs> beep, at home. Beep. <laughs> yeah, because I like all the chaos and stuff. And it's also Easter holidays. If you guys didn't know, then I, I live next to a nursery. And there's this one girl that really hates being there. So she just cries for about six hours straight. And I miss her now as well. <laughs> I think it's really funny with Easter, you know, Mina, because like England is not in many regards, or well, we both live in England, is not many regards a particularly um, religious country. Although, of course, we do have a, a monarchy that is in its nature religious. But we get Friday and Monday as holidays in England, and I know that's not true in lots of other countries. So apologies to any of our listeners who were expecting this podcast to come a day earlier. But we talked about it, and obviously we had our own Easter holidays. But more importantly, I guess we we sort of felt like we didn't want to miss out the Napoli Roma game, did we? No, we didn't. That was that was the yeah that was a point. It's a little bit of a weird weekend because obviously Friday had Milan and Inter, and then it just keeps sort of changing so it's like I almost feel like it's too old to talk about Inter and Milan which we will don't worry about it it feels like forever ago doesn't it it feels like a long time yeah. ago yeah I've eaten a lot of chocolate since then <laughs> yeah. oh have you been one of those people really d- indulging in all of that oh my god Mina we're gonna we'll, we'll talk about the football at some point I went um so where I live um there's a, a boutique chocolate shop that I'm very fond of and they do like these little salted caramel bars that are like tiny like they're really tiny and really expensive but at least they do an egg and the egg is eye-wateringly expensive like it's like a, it's a 30 quid egg right I'm gonna be honest it's a 30 pounds chocolate egg right wow. Wait, and I am not I, I am not an, extra, an extravagant person like I don't go out for fancy dinners very often I don't get fancy things but I bought myself the fancy egg and it's Tuesday and it's already gone. That's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. It's already gone. When did you buy it? No comment. <laughs> it was yesterday, wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't yesterday. It wasn't yesterday. Anyway, <laughs> I used to be so simple wow. when I was a kid. You could have given me some Kendrick. I was happy. But now apparently I need the fancy chocolates. There you go, Patreon listeners. This is where your money's going. <laughs> I'm there eating ramen for dinner, trying to have like the cheapest possible dinner, but my 30 pound chocolate egg. I'm sort of a little bit upset that there's a video recording me laughing at this. <laughs> it is, um, oh, Nikki, I don't have a sweet tooth. Um, you probably had, you probably had an Easter steak, knowing you. Easter beef binge. Easter beef binge. Yeah, that's exactly Chicken wings. I and I had two grilled chickens. <laughs> Every time my mom walks into the house, she goes, I just, don't understand how you can eat this much and be so skinny. <laughs> <laughs> that is a mystery. That is a mystery. It's very upsetting for a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, she's. I do. I always put such a, a different accent on my mom all the time. One time I made a Jamaican <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> yeah, like, no, you don't understand. Her, her, her accent's been Irish. It's been Jamaican. It's been like. <laughs> I think our poor producer's probably hoping we'll talk about the football at some point, but I want to hear more about Mina's mum. I have spent so much time with them over this weekend that I'm like, oh, it's, well, they're traveling for a good while. But I was like, oh, I might miss you. And now I definitely know I won't miss them. So <laughs> I love you guys, but it would be nice if I don't have to come and sort stuff out for you every day. Okay, mm. let's get to the football because it's, I want to say it's an exciting weekend. I've already forgotten most of it, <laughs> but I struggle to forget, obviously, Jose Mourinho's comments, that match by Napoli. Um, Lorenzo Insigne's tears, which he's not really my favourite player, but I did kind of feel sorry for him. I also felt sorry for Spalletti. So obviously I'm talking about the game between Napoli and Roma that was in Naples. 
And this was an exciting match because Roma wanted the points to try to push Juventus and challenge for a top four position. Napoli obviously are still or were still in the running for the Scudetto. A draw helps nobody except potentially Juventus and, and Milan and Inter. Actually quite a lot maybe. But it was one of those games where we had everything. We had, was there a penalty? There was another shirt on show. I guess first things first, this was a game of two halves. If you didn't know, this is top-notch analysis, yeah. But I did think <laughs> Napoli was fantastic, were fantastic in the first half and Roma were fantastic in the second half. So is this a tactical a battle that Jose Mourinho won in the second half with his adjustments and Spalletti lost with the substitutions? Was this a case of another mental problem? I'm going to start with you, Nikki. I mean, I'm going to let you take it away as to what your thoughts are on this match. Um, first things first, I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I thought it was one of those, you know, games, it's a big game that actually lives up to your sort of enthusiasm for it. Like, I was looking forward to it. I was hoping it'd be a good game. As you've just sort of teed it up, Mina, like Napoli fifth in the table. Um, sorry, Roma fifth in the table, Napoli third in the table, both of them with lots to play for. I think Roma as well, especially almost the timing of it, made it even more sort of fascinating on their end because Juventus had played beforehand and drawn. So actually Roma, if they won, could come to within three points of the top four. And suddenly that was starting to look like a serious proposition because um, Roma had, had already gone on 11 games unbeaten before this. So to close within three points of the Champions League spaces with five games left to, to go, you start to think that could be real. So it was it was a loaded game that turned out to be a really fun game. and and. As you said it, like two, almost two halves that were very different games. Because in the first half, I thought Napoli were great. Um, I really um, thought they came out with exactly their sort of style of football. They had the, the possession, they had the tempo, they had the, most importantly, what they really had was to go with all that possession. They had incisive movement. I thought Mario Rui and Lorenzo Insigne were doing good things on the left. I thought that uh, Herbie Nazano, who is such a disappointment to me so often and has been most of the time since he joined Napoli, I remember you and I, Mina, with, with um, Gab getting quite excited about that signing. And I don't think it's really panned out, but but making really smart runs, including the one that leads to the penalty. And um, I think our producer, who might have some Roma leanings, disagrees with that penalty. <laughs> I, I thought that was a clear-cut penalty. And, and yes, I thought that um, Lozano was playing for it. And I think if there hadn't been contact, he might have just ended up on the floor, which is not great. But in the end, he still got studs rake down his leg as he was going through. So for me, it's a penalty. So really sort of strong start from Napoli. But what's interesting is that even in that first half, I felt like Roma could have easily had the better chance in that half. Because Roma did in the first sort half. of could have had. They didn't have, but they could have had. Oh, and the, okay. the reason they didn't have was because in a couple of big moments, Zaniolo, who's just come off his amazing hat trick in midweek, made bad decisions. I think after about three minutes, he was behind the defence down the right-hand side. And he should have played the ball square for Tammy Abraham, maybe Pellegrini was there as well. And he doesn't play the ball. And then there was another situation, I think it was a one-all, where he was kind of, it was one of those sort of, the ball's just been cleared. There isn't really like a team movement going on for Roma. But he he kind of had him on the two nappy centre-backs and he beat them both. And he, he had them both on their heels and he just needed to, to make the decision that time to, to keep the ball and go with it. And that time, unlike the first time where he didn't look up for the pass, he, he did look up for a pass that wasn't there. And I felt like, gosh, isn't this a little bit Zaniolo in a nutshell that the talent is there, but sometimes the decision making makes you want to take your hair out. Cause he could have had, I think he could have set up a goal and scored a goal in that first half if he'd made the right decisions. But, but still it was a good first half and happily, maybe those moments aside. And then in the second half, I thought Roma played it really, really well. They, they came much back, um, they came back into the game with a, a higher press and, and not sitting in such a low block to begin with. And then, yes, they were invited into it by Spalletti substitutions and he took off everyone. He took off his whole attack. <laughs> but nevertheless, they accepted that invitation. And yet again, they, they found a goal, which they just keep doing. I mean, he can't handle the Spalletti took off his whole attack. I don't know. I'm just in a really giggly mood when you're like, he just took off his entire attack. Well, he did. He took off Osimhen. He took off Insigne. He took off Fabian Ruiz. And he took off... Um, yeah, you're right. Lozano, all in two substitutions, four changes. 
I'm going to do something just because I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So it's not necessarily what I believe. But I started to look at these substitutions because in my head when I was watching the game, I was like, oh, you moron, look what you've done. The team is falling so deep. They can't come out. They're not playing football. And obviously technique would defeat this type of, you know, um, the, the, the type of run that Roma, I keep wanting to say Mourinho's team, yeah, but Roma were. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much this guy like imprints on his sides, yeah. But I was saying like the way to get out of this is to just start, start playing the Napoli way, like just keep hold of the game, you know, just keep possession, just pass it out. But then I started thinking about it and it's like, okay, like you did take off a lot of players, but you did bring on players that we really like as well in the sense that Zielinski came on, Dries Mertens came on, Deme came on, which I thought was the right move considering Lobotka was was now in, in problem. Elmas came on. So there is the ability. When he said they should have done better, the only one I disagreed with him bringing on was Juan Jesus, you know, because I thought that that was like a Juan Jesus, however you want to say it, sorry. For me, that was the most defensive change that he made. But the others made sense to me when he said at the end of the day, they should have done better. I agree. They're good enough to be better in possession. So this is where I struggle to to wonder, is this a mentality? Is this a tactical thing? At the end of the day, they were falling deeper and deeper. But I do agree with Spalletti in the sense that I didn't introduce guys that have never played football before. I've got Zielinski on there. I've got Dries Mertens on there. I've got Elmas on there. I've got Deme on there, who was considered the guy to put before Lobotka became, you know, the star sensation at midfield that he is now. A lot of the time last year, Gattuso was relying on Deme. And so I don't understand how the team just kept falling away. And obviously, we have to give credit to Roma because I think the adjustments were really good. I do agree with you in the sense that Zaniolo doesn't always make the right decisions. And I think, unfortunately, that that is something that you get with youth, right? There are a lot of opportunities where sometimes they don't make the right decisions. And and that is about coaching. It's about... I, I always go back to Ancelotti when he talks about Verratti and the things that used to annoy him so much at PSG or like Vinicius Jr. when he arrived at Real Madrid said he would just take 17 touches. And I said, if you take two and can't take a shot, then pass the ball, you know? Yeah. And and it would be really nice to have sort of a little bit more of that coaching, you know, maybe just say to, to Zaniolo, like, these are the, the principles you need to live by. But I think a lot of the time he gets used as because he is so talented on the ball and because he can create problems and troubles that he is almost relied upon at his age. And, and I do, in that sense, feel a little bit sometimes sorry for him. But I also think that the tactics didn't help him. I think that he was pretty much isolated and he was the only driving force for Roma in the first half. And I would have liked to have seen somebody that just took a little bit of defensive attention away from him, which I didn't see happen. There needed to be a balance on the wings because it was all basically Zaniolo and there wasn't sort of this man attracting all the the, the attention away. So he had Koulibaly on him. He had the, the fullback on him. So it was just this, this constant of him trying to escape pressure. And I think that when you have that much attention, it makes decision making that much harder when you're a youngster. But actually, what I like so much about this, and credit to Jose Mourinho, is the adjustments made in the second half. And I thought Mkhitaryan coming on, allowing for a more vertical position, but also possession of the ball, was such a great move. Um, Al Sharawi, for me, should have come on a little bit earlier. But again, these are the great moves that you make to balance it out. Offer Napoli so many different routes to defend that in the end... You know, Zaniolo, had he not, you know, suffered an injury, would have had a little bit more freedom to express himself and better decisions would have come out. But what I thought was that the attack now was a lot more balanced and not all dependent on just this one guy and what he can do. So I, I guess this is my my feeling about him. So I don't know whether this is Roma's brilliance or Napoli's downfall or another mental collapse from Napoli. Because, you know, again, I don't want to blame Insigne, but I think he did pretty well in this match. It's just a case of, like, come on. Like, I born in Zielinski. I born in Demi. Like, none of you know how to keep hold of the ball. It's like, you're all so easily bullied. And this is where, like, there was just this brilliant question asked by, by a reporter that, you know, the sporting project, from a financial point of view, Napoli have been a team that makes money, that has been well-balanced, you know, that has slowly grown and, and become a side that is regularly in the top four of Serie A, maybe not last season, but generally speaking. On a corporate level, it's perfect. But what what is happening on a sporting level that this team really genuinely never looked like title contenders? Why mm-hmm. is that? What is, what is the problem deep down that makes it that much difficult? And why is this team so easily bullied? 
by any any coach, even if they have Sari, even if they've had Gattuso, Ancelotti, Spalletti, all very different coaches, all different ideas. It's still a team that's so easily bullied. Why? Yeah, it is funny because uh, Insigne, and maybe he could always have done more, right? But he certainly, for me, wasn't one of the people who let his team down yesterday. Um, he scored the penalty. It was a really well-taken penalty as well, by the way. It wasn't just like a, you know, stick it down no. the middle, got a lucky penalty. It was right in the corner. It was a really well-taken penalty. And that is the sort of thing that we've criticised him before as well, for in the past sometimes, is in the big games, not always feeling those moments. Unfortunately now, every, Italy, every Italian who scores a penalty for the next 12 months, I think, is going to be cursed to have me sat there looking at them going, why didn't you do that for us in qualifying? <laughs> Why wasn't it you? Why didn't someone get Jorginho out of the way and score a penalty? But it was a good penalty. And when the cameras came to him at the end of the game, I don't know if you saw it, Mina, but he sort of turns back towards the bench and he kicks a bottle. But the funny thing was that like, I, I watched that moment and I thought, that doesn't look to me like someone who is feeling this all happening now. That looks to me like someone who is resigned to it. Like they, they felt this coming. And I suppose to an extent... Yeah. The loss to Fiorentina last week already felt like the big thing, right? Like, and, and perhaps it shouldn't have, because perhaps this game, actually, if they'd won it, you know, they'd still be within three points at the top of the table. It would be more because of the tiebreakers being against them, but they would have been still there. They would have still been within that sort of touching distance. And I think, um, we've talked loads about Spalletti and I think I, I would only be repeating myself anything I could say about him and, and my feeling that perhaps he's, he's been the opposite of what they need in terms of, I think he always amps them up when sometimes they need to be dialed down. I think there are players there individually who I'm disappointed with. Jelinski, I talked about last time, has been one of them. Jelinski, I think, was so good at the start of the season, hasn't been recently. And unfortunately, again, I, I do tend to bring that back to Spalletti and, and, and to put it on his doorstep. But I think Insignia is going to walk away from this moment with clearly huge regrets. It's written all over him, right? He's going to walk away from his last season at his boyhood club, feeling like it could have been the most glorious send-off, like it could have been the biggest, sort of most amazing thing. But I think the whole club is going to leave this season wrecked with that sort of regret. Because the fact is, it's just not that good of a Serie A season in terms of absolute quality at the top. It's been quite an entertaining season. It's been enjoyable. It's a close race. But there is not a team in this group that anyone's going to remember as, as a great team. And, and in that season of all seasons, I think this Napoli squad player for player is, is good enough to be, to be more. And, and I think that Spalletti ultimately carries the the responsibility for that, even while I can ex- accept what you're saying, Mina, that look, there's been Angelotti there, there's been Gattuso there, nothing that different happened. But I think that you can only judge each each manager on a season-by-season basis. Mauricio Sarri didn't win the title, but he did something extraordinary with a group of players. He took them to 91 points. Mm. Angelotti inherited a mm. group that was sort of had some similarities there. And, kept, uh, and I think that was complicated because, you know, it's, it's not easy to follow that job, actually. It's not easy to take a group that someone else has taken to 91 points and, 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 and carried on. He tried to change some things. I don't know. Maybe he made wrong decisions, but I also think maybe he's not the right manager for that group. I think that Ancelotti is doing so well, in my opinion, with what he's got at Real Madrid. But I think part of that is his ability to just sort of take all of the sort of brilliant players and remind them they're brilliant without having to, to necessarily hone everything in the way that Sarri had done. Gattuso, for me, has his limitations as a coach. I, I think he did some things better than he was given credit for, but he just isn't a great tactician. And Spalletti, sure, his tactics broadly, I think, are okay. Although I say that, and I often want to give him credit as a tactician, and I think he does some things very well. It's not easy with any group of players to hold possession as well as Napoli do. But I've been mean, saying all season, if you're that good of a tactician, why do I always look at Victor Osimhen and think he's like apart from the rest of your team? Why don't I think he's part of the unit? So, yeah, unfortunately, well, you can sort of write the story that it's every manager the same story. To me, it's it's um, it's still a, a Spalletti issue. 
Look, there's been a lot of discussion this week about who is a good tactician and who isn't. Um, I'm like on several WhatsApp groups and it's usually me arguing with other journalists <laughs> about whether or not Ancelotti is a good tactician or is Spalletti a good tactician. And those have been a, a major topic for our chat group in the last week. You know, for me, I there are a few things in football that I don't forget, like Tele Santana's Brazil in 1982. You know, like these are the type of like, coaching and, and stars of play that, you know, really stick with you. And Spalletti, his Roma <laughs> with like, with Totti as a false number nine is just something that I was thought was magnificent, you know? It was just, it was magnificent. And I feel like after that, I've always thought of him as being this, this amazing, amazing coach. But I think that what we always fall is that we think this, it's either you value a coach a lot or you don't value a coach a lot. But coaching is so much more than just a guy with a great bunch of tactics and patterns mm -hmm. of play. Because if if it is only that, then Pep Guardiola would have won everything, right, in the last few years. But as it stands, ever since he left Barcelona, he's reached only one final. And this is despite spending billions and having some of the best players at Bayern and Manchester City. He's only reached one final with both of those squads, you know. And I think that that goes to show that football is more than just tactics. It is... It is also about developing leaderships um, and leaders and having like a management on board that is helping you to sort of live out what it is that you're trying to achieve and working together as a stable unit. It is also having the right conditioning. That could be physical conditioning. That could be mental conditioning. One of the reasons why Italian football for me is, is and remains in my head when it comes to the details, the very best is because it did focus on every detail. It was always about that extra 10% that you can put that maybe others don't have. It's, it's the extra 10% is the better scouting. Extra 10% is the better conditioning. You know, at the end of the day, Ventrone, who's with Antonio Conte right now, Antonio Pintus, who's with Carlo Ancelotti right now. These were all guys that came from Italian football. You know, Atalanta, I always forget his name, but the fitness coach, their fitness coach, won all their rewards because of the remarkable fitness that they had over the last few years. Obviously, now there are question marks being asked because they've suffered so many injuries, but it's always that extra. What can you do more? What are the details that you do more? And with Napoli, that's why I say that it can't be the coach because they can't be experiencing this many problems all the time. So is it a psychology? And obviously, we don't know everything, right? So is it a psychological issue? Is there too much being asked of a coach to do? Because, you know, here's an interesting thing. So one of, uh, one of our... Chronicles Tifosi members actually asked a question and he says on the BT commentary last night for the Napoli versus Roma so he's obviously in the UK um, <laughs> Dave Farrar who was the commentator mentioned that Aurelio Di Laurentiis was looking at downgrading the budget for Napoli after this season any more details on that and what what that would mean as far as challenging for top four and that's from Simon Smith I, I guess just before I, I throw this to you you know, that's just one more thing that you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it was also like put to Spalletti about how upset Dilon Entis is when he doesn't make the right substitutions at the right time. It's mm. too much being asked. Yeah, that was a fascinating little sort of reveal, wasn't it, from Spalletti, like making mm. it sort of clear that Dilon is obviously in his ear a lot. I've said before on the podcast that I think that Napoli is a club that is not well run behind the scenes. And I think that that filters through. I do actually, I think it's, it's harder to succeed in Naples. And I think that's got layers to it because in some regards, it's very well run. I mean, Aurelio De Laurentiis in a league where people are often doing a terrible job of managing their books and, and turning profits has been very, very consistent at keeping um, Napoli not spending beyond their means. And that's impressive to do that and continue to be in the top part of the table. But I, um, I think they also have just not modernized. They have just not modernized in the way that you see a club like Juventus did first, that you see a club like Milan has been doing recently and getting results on the pitch for it. You see the Inter have gone through and are getting better results for it. And I think Roma are trying to do. And I think that refusing to embrace modernity over time is, is going to cost you. And I think that's part of the story with Napoli. As for the question, again, De Laurentiis has never been Moratti at Inter. He's never been here to throw a billion euros at something and say, it's okay, it's my plaything. He's always tried to run the club. Professionally. Well, sort of taking some grammar from it and being like, I'm a film producer. He's always tried to run it as a sustainable business. And I think after COVID, that's more complicated than ever. 
So I think there's a very real chance that he will look to extricate himself from the club in the next year or two. That's been talked about already. Mm -hmm. Um, But if he doesn't, then for certain, he's going to be looking to make sure he doesn't um, end up hugely, hugely sinking himself financially for it. And that could mean big sales, like for instance, most obvious one, Victor Rossman is the most saleable asset on that team, which would be catastrophic from the point of view of whether or not they can compete um, at the top end of Serie A. But we shall see. I, I know our producer is going to go absolutely potty if we don't move on very, very soon, but we have talked a lot about this game and not to talk about Mourinho. I just want to say yeah, this is... Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> has to be said something about Mourinho. Yes. Because um, because 12 games unbeaten mm. and clearly in his element at the end of the game, having a go about the refereeing decisions, which I've already mentioned the big one, but I, mean, I also think that he was... I think he was right, so Oli could have been sent off. But before the game, going to give... Um, Lee Flowers at Maradona's shrine as well in Naples. I just, you know, I think we just have to acknowledge it. You know, we've, we've had times we've been down on Mourinho, but as I think our old friend Gab was always fond of saying, when the facts change, the story changes and the facts have changed. Mourinho's doing well there now. He is, in all honesty, just his tactical adjustments in the second half for me, the fact that he noticed about how much balance there needed to be in attacking play, and the fact that he adjusted quickly rather than waiting, you know, till the 70th, 80th minute, I thought that was remarkable. I do think sometimes he puts himself in a position where then you you think to yourself, you know, when he's like, you know, this was Everest for us coming to Napoli yeah. after, after after playing, you know, Bodo Glimt. God, if anyone heard you, you're talking about playing Liverpool, you know, like it is Bodo Glimt. You've given them the, the allure that they probably didn't deserve. It's still Bodo Glimt, dude. But... You're right. It is 12 games. It is tactical adjustments. It is a team that really is fighting aggressively, pushing well. It is scoring goals when it needs to. Um, you're seeing players that are, I guess, developing. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that more than anything, I'm not going to talk about players developing or I'm not going to talk about all the tactics. I am going to talk about one thing. The mentality has changed. And that was the Roma the desire, right? That was the whole point of bringing in Jose Mourinho is because you want the never say die attitude. And to be honest with you, they've got seven goals now in injury time, 15 in the last quarter of an hour of the games. That is remarkable. That is something that we used to applaud Simone Zaghi for at Lazio. But it's this guy right now doing it, which means Roma believe until the very, very end. And credit to him, because I feel like we haven't talked about that. When it comes, though, to the rest of the stuff, sometimes he says, "Eh, it's a little outlandish. But don't we all love the drama about it all? I just think... You know what I mean? Because we'll have more chance to talk about it next week. They're going to Inter, of course, next week, which, if, you know, homecoming for Jose, last uh, time, well, obviously when he was there, he won the treble. Uh, last Italian team to win in Europe was Inter. Now he's got a chance to be the next Italian team to win in Europe. It was a slightly lower level. Conference League is not the Champions League, but still. I just think it's it's so wonderfully Jose that even though he's not going to win the title this season, somehow we've, he's managed to put himself back in the centre of the Serie A narrative. I just think that's that's the most Jose thing that could happen really going into that game against Inter. Palla dentro per Felix in area di rigore, la lascia ad Abram, che la lascia Stefano! So while the fans are absolutely loving everything Jose Mourinho is doing at Roma, the fans over in Turin really hate Max Allegri right now. Um, Juventus obviously took on Bologna. Bologna scored a goal through Arnautovic, who has now scored uh, well last six goals for Bologna. And it was a strong performance for them, while Juventus struggled to find the goals. This is despite the fact that they had Paolo Dybala Dusan Vlaovic and, and Morata up front, and yet they didn't even have a shot on target in the first half. Despite all of this, in the last 10 minutes, Morata, did he deserve a penalty? Does he not? Hmm, we don't know. Two red cards, Bologna go down to nine men, and Juventus eventually find their equaliser. Now, first things first, Juventus, I don't think, have lost to Bologna in about 11 years, or is that 11 contests? God knows only. So many statistics that were swirling around. 
There was a lot of talk, obviously, about the fourth shirt. There was a lot of talk about the fact that Alessandro Del Piero was back in the stadium for the first time in so many years, dear Capitano. Um, that was huge for everyone there. There was also a lot of talk because at the very end of the game, Lapo Alcan, who uh, everyone knows, uh, part of the Agnelli family, wrote on Twitter uh, and used a pun on Allegri, which it means cheerful, that Juventus right now weren't happy and using his name. So seems like the fans had already turned against Allegri a while ago. Is this his fault? Is Bologna a tremendous team or what was happening, Nikki? I think it's certainly a bit his fault. Um, I think we criticise other managers for not getting everything that they can out of a team. And I think that the problem is that for Max Allegri is that he set himself up by sort of being in many ways this embodiment during his previous tenure event of, you know, the, the Bonipetti line, I always come back to it, when he isn't important, it's the only thing that counts. This is Juventus' mantra, this is who they say they are, this is fino alla fine writ large, like we are just here to win football games and nothing else. And if you set yourself up to be that, then you got to win. Like you can't be just, just sort of plodding along. And I think that I can give you all sorts of mitigating circumstances. I think certainly if Federico Chiesa doesn't get injured, this is a different season. I think that that prospect ahead of Chiesa and Vlavic is exciting. I think there have been individual games, such as um, such as the one they won against Chelsea in the Champions League, even though the one they didn't win against Cham- Chelsea in the Champions League was pretty ugly. <laughs> you can look at individual games and say, well, this was good coaching by Max Allegri, right? There were moments of it. But the problem is, I suppose, unlike, funnily enough, Mourinho, who've just been talking about, Mourinho did worse for a lot this season. Mm-hmm. But Mourinho is heading towards the end of the season with a feeling and a vibe of, you know what, things are getting better. Max Allegri is not heading towards the end of the season with that vibe. Max Allegri is heading towards the end of the season. I'm looking at the team going, has anything changed all season? The personnel's changed, the formations changed sometimes, but the football is basically the same. It feels too slow. It feels heavy footed. It feels, it feels like it's not going anywhere at the moment. And, and funnily enough, like that was almost always the thing that I admired most about Max Allegri is that in every season at Juventus and, you know, at Milan as well, he, he was often a slow starter, but he always came up with something during the season. He always came up with something that worked. And. I mean, there's, there's five games left, you know, it's, it's April. There's no time to come up with something that works. And, and sure, you're probably going to get a fourth place. Um, but I'm, I'm not convinced that it's moving in a direction that makes me think, okay, yeah, next season's going to be better. Okay. I actually fully take what you said on board. Now, last week after the fact that they didn't do very well either, Juventus, from what I understand, because everyone else sure as well, they still had the most points in 2022. Oh, that, that is true. Yeah. So I do feel like it's interesting with Juventus because you, you, it's like what the eye sees and what the truth is, is really different. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Does, does that make sense? Because you see them on the pitch and you think this is going, this is rather awful. <laughs> you know, like this is a dull game. But I also feel that a lot of the times, I don't know whether you the Juventus brand, the Juventus name, the Juventus jersey sort of puts you in this position where you demand a lot because of the fact that it's Juventus and that nobody necessarily looks at the other mitigating factors that they would, for example, for Atalanta. Atalanta, what, why do you, what would you think of Gasparini considering they've totally tailed off? What, what do you think about Atalanta just in a, in a, in a, I don't know, in a sentence, if you like? Atalanta are going through one of their worst periods under Gasparini, I think, ever. I think they've lost more games in a row than they've ever lost under Gasparini, which is something that's a big deal. But I think because this is a continuous period, he's been in charge for a long time, that one bad run is not enough to unpick everything. Okay, but why do you think they are on a bad run, is my point. Atalanta? Yeah. A a, a bunch of different reasons. I think that the cumulative impact of selling lots of good players is is certainly part of it. I think having no Gostens, no no Gomez, those are two players who who are pretty sort of fundamental to them in recent times. I know they they rode on for a while without without, uh, Gomez particularly, but I think that losing Gostens as well is a blow. 
I think that on top of that, you've had Duban Zapata was injured for a big chunk of the season and now he's come back and I think he's not right. Um, mm. And that's fine. You know, players come back from injuries and they take a while. But I think that in every game that I've seen him in since he's come back, I've thought to myself, the team isn't working. Like it's, it's not, it's not fluid. He doesn't look like a, he looks like a foreign object in that system at the moment. And, and I think that that's a big part of it in the sort of immediate sense. Okay. Um, I actually agree with all of those points. I guess the reason I asked you that is because I wanted to see how much you blamed Gasparini because for a lot of, for me, I feel like Gasparini's job has been made so much harder this season for, <laughs> like you said, some of the transfer choices that they've made, including those in January. Um, but I also think it's frankly speaking, they've just had so many injuries that it's impossible to try to create rhythm or rhyme. You know, you cannot try to create a team that has sold players in the transfer market that, you know, focuses a lot on the chemistry between players and the fluidity of the game when you don't have a lot of those players available. I mean, one of the things that I was looking at prior to this match, um, when I was doing actually betting picks was the fact that Roma had only Spinazzola as the absence for this match for, against Napoli. And Napoli had Giovanni Di Lorenzo as, as the, the absence in this match. And then you look and see at the fact that in everything that I was read, hardly a lot of it was criticism Allegri. I'm not here to tell you he's doing a fantastic job because we can see that it's bad football right now, you know. But I also think that it should also be mentioned that there's no Locatelli, there's no Arthur, there's no McKenney, there's no Federico Chiesa. There hasn't been, well, Zacharia couldn't start the match. There hasn't been Bonucci. There hasn't been Chiellini for long stages during this this whole season. We started off with Ronaldo. And can I just also tell you that when Real Madrid lost Ronaldo, they still had Benzema, they still had Luka Modric, they still had Tony Cruz, they still had Sergio Ramos, and they lost to Ajax in the second round, and they lost the league desperately badly. It happens when sometimes you you focus a lot on the guy that resolves situations, and then you take him away from the team, and now the team has to stabilize and find its way. When a lot has been talked about Pirlo, I don't think Pirlo should have been sacked. I don't necessarily agree with any of those sackings because I like stability for Juventus. It's always been, for me, their superpower. Their ability to hold on to Trapattoni, their ability to hold on to Marcello Lippi, and I thought their ability to hold on to Allegri. Um, I understand the decision to sack him. You felt like the time had come and you wanted better football. Sure, I get that. But then it didn't work out for the others, so you've you've chosen to bring him back. He still has a team that right now has Danilo playing as a makeshift midfielder, that has Cuadrado playing as a mid, mid, you know, makeshift midfielder. And everyone's like, well, he could have introduced academy products. He could have, but it could have still not led to a win. There are still foundational problems here. I'm not saying to you that the guy is doing everything spectacularly well, but I'd also like all the others to be given a mention. The fact that on top of the fact that he has a poorly managed squad, there has been lots of absences that he is playing when when we sit there and you Inzaghi's upset that a few of us have commented badly on his team not managing it when he only lost Brozovic. One guy, you know? At the end of the day, what did we say? What did we sit here and say when Milan drew to Bologna? What can they do? They don't have Ibrahimovic. They were suffering with lots of injuries. It can happen. And Bologna is a team that defeated Napoli, that got 3-0 over Sassuolo, that defeated Roma as well. So it's not like this, you know, throwaway Salernitana, who, by the way, also drew with Milan, you know. This is a crazy season in which I don't see a good team in Italy. I really don't. So I guess my point is, is that I don't think Spalletti, I don't think Pioli, I don't think Jose Mourinho, I don't think Simone is I don't think anyone deserves to be sacked. Because right now there's just problems everywhere. Even into losing Lukaku and Ashraf Hakimi and still trying to create this team that is number one in Italy is a really tough job, you know? So I just I just feel that with Juventus, it's a little bit harsh to judge Allegri straight away now. I want to see what he can do because he is somebody who's foundation first. Let's dare later. Let's dare to play later. I don't know if we're ever going to see that, but... I don't know. I, I just feel like with all of this, you know, it is true that they can't overcome teams that know how to defend properly and take spaces away from the likes of Lauvich. We saw that against Villarreal. We saw that against, obviously, Cagliari. But just feel like when it comes to Bologna, I, I think that sometimes people get a little bit dramatic. And I really, it annoys me that Licari, for example, of Gazetta never notes anything and just whines about patterns of play. You cannot have patterns of play if you do not have a midfielder that can pass the ball. And right now you've got a winger as a, as a, and a defender playing in your midfield. 
it's impossible to do. And I just feel like Bologna is not a team that you can necessarily take this on. And I'm worried now for the next five games, because if this is the midfield and you can't count on Arthur or Locatelli or somebody, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's an, sorry, with all due respect, it's not that I want anyone to be injured, but it's remarkable that it's the guys that know how to pass the ball. And it's like, you know, Rabiot has been in perfect health all season. <laughs> Astonishing. Um, meanwhile, uh, yeah. So this is this is where I am. I was going to talk about Dybala being hideously poor in this match, but I feel like I've piled on enough on this guy. What can I do? Can we just express a little bit of sympathy for Alvaro Morata as well, producing a beautiful overhead kick and then Vlahovic sticks his head on it at the end and gets a goal? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I so agree with that as well, especially because in this match, one of my one of my picks was that Morata would be the one that gets the goal. I'm like, dude, you just took it away from me, man. <laughs> Someone said this on Twitter, and I'm really sorry because I can't remember who it was, but someone I follow on Twitter said, isn't this just like the perfect metaphor for Morata's whole career? And I did think, oh God. I know, I know. You have to feel, you have to feel for him. But is Allegri doing a good job? No, I can understand why you hate him. I'm just, I'm just giving them all a little bit. I don't hate him. Hang on, hang on. No, no, not you. You, not you, not you. The fans that I'm reading on, where people are saying, well, at least there's football being played, you know, like guys, come on. You know, everyone's like, look at Roma, they're 10 times better. Yeah, we still have more points. So like, I then I just feel like sometimes people like to read very quickly into it and, and, and sort of not look at what happened to Madrid after they lost Ronaldo. Not, you know, it's like he's never allowed an alibi, but everyone else is. And that's what I feel comes a little bit unfair, you know? Yeah, I actually, I, I did look up while you were talking and I've, I lost it, the, um, how things are looking since the start of the year, I do think it's quite interesting. So if we did that mini table of just games in 2022, Juventus are still top, but it's joint top with Milan, 29 points since the start of 2022. Napoli, who we've been talking about their um, frailty in this late part of the season, only one point behind them on 28 points. And Roma fourth, in fact, it's Inter, who are a distant eighth so far in 2022. So actually it is, in fairness, some of those clubs that we say have not been finishing strong enough about a better year than, than the team that we think probably is still the favourite to win the whole thing. Yeah. And Roma remarkably is what I think is even better about the fact that of their run is that they're also playing in Europe. So they're playing all the time, mm. you know? And so it's remarkable to collect the points that they've collected. You know, it, it's true. It, it is Inter and they've complained, well, because because you guys haven't noted that we've lost Brozovic. Well, Milan have lost half their defence and I don't know what what Juventus have at the moment. There's not very much, I'll tell you that, you know. So I just feel like sometimes we do need to give a few alibis to people. So that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that was my entire point with that. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that he's playing terrific football. I do want to make that clear, you know. Uh, people love to say that I just defend certain coaches and not the others. So I would like to put that out there too. What about um, Milan, actually, speaking of? Because obviously we know that there's now this huge interest from InvestCorp. It has been confirmed to buy the club at over a billion. Actually, right now it's being looked at 1.1 billion. Good game against Genoa. I actually thought this would be a draw because of Blessing, but thought he made a few tactical mistakes there. Yeah, the best in magic does seem to just desert him a tiny bit. He's not drawing every game anymore, and I think they are looking a bit doomed again. No, it was a good a good win for Milan. I think, uh, given their scoring problems recently, it was probably just a an almighty relief that they now stuck the ball in after ten minutes. Because once that goal went in, it just I think diffused a lot of the pressure that could have built on this game. I think that if they hadn't scored early, that sort of sense of God, we never score anymore, might have built and built and built. But because they actually finally just did it early. It really made this a much sort of more straightforward game. I'm conscious that we're sort of running on this week, Mina, and, and the game was not the most exciting thing. I am really curious, Glenna, you have insight into Investcore. I really want to sort of ask you about that and, and ask you if you can give any more sort of background on them because it's a fascinating deal. And I mean, worth sort of pointing out, by the way, that that price you quoted for Elliot, I think when Elliot sort of casually sort of initially just loaned some money and then casually sort of slid into the controlling the club hot seat at Milan, the valuation then was, we're talking about five years ago, it was only 700 million. So the potential return on investment there is huge. Yeah. But how much have they invested overall into Milan is about mm. 740 million. If you also include include the loan that wasn't repaid, uh, repaid by Lee Yong Hong, 
So if we count the loan and how much money they pumped in, if they do sell it for a billion, they would make 100 million, maximum 150 million from the deal, which is still quite a lot when you think about it. That is I nice. can think of ways to spend it. It's a few chocolate <laughs> eggs. It's a few chocolate <laughs> eggs. How many? Oh my God, I can imagine you in this like, like, there was a cartoon where a dog used to dive into all his money. Do you remember that cartoon? <laughs> God, I forgot the name of it. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, um. Is it Mighty Duck? I don't know. Is it DuckTales? <laughs> oh, DuckTales. Is it called DuckTales? It could yeah. be DuckTales. Yeah. And I just imagine you diving into this pool of chocolate eggs. <laughs> And you're just coming out and eating one, you know. Like. I'm, I'm here for it. That sounds good. Diving into money doesn't sound comfortable. I know I know the image you're talking about. It's like a cartoon image of like a duck diving into money. Yeah. And I always think that would hurt. Yeah. I mean, but, if it's you know, coins, sure. But imagine it was like, you know, dollars, <laughs> you know, or like, you know. Chocolate. Notes. It's fine. Who needs the money? Chocolate. <laughs> for me, it was always Coca-Cola. Yeah, because I'm not into chocolate. Oh, and I just really... We should get sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> but anyway. I'll work on it. Please do. What was I going to tell you? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, Invest Corp. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I love when our producer just starts just giggling for no reason. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I think he has to laugh so he doesn't cry. Because we're supposed to be talking about football. Oh, could you hear me? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was muted. What are you laughing at? Is it- because you forgot what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, this always happens. It was really funny because I was doing this this episode on the BBC podcast mm-hmm. and I was like really amped up for this fight because they told us there's going to be a fight between, you know, two two journalists, yeah, and one was pro and one was anti a subject. And I got really amped up and then halfway through after I delivered my first perfect, like, formulated fight bag, I had to now get into the second point and I was like, what are we talking about again? <laughs> And they're like, Mina! And I was like, I'm so sorry. But I got, like, um, adrenaline had just taken over my body at that stage. And I just completely forgot everything in life, you know? Um, anyway. Right, and best call. Okay, yeah, this is where it is. So, I mean, I'm, I, uh, let's see what happens. So, my father graduated, went to school in the UK when he was 15, lived with an English family so that he could speak English. Graduated from university, chartered Institute of Banking and flew to Bahrain to try to make a name for himself. His buddy at the time was somebody who decided to talk about building an investment fund. My dad ran a bank at the time. He was CEO of a bank and this man wanted to open InvestCorp. They were, in case anyone doesn't know, my father's from Iraq and so was this man. And so they knew each other from back home, I guess. And... um, they built in, well, not my dad, but this man built InvestCorp. And then eventually, you know, there's other, Mubadala came in and take a certain share of the of the company as general. There was other people recruited in and out. The man founded it in 1982, which is 40 years ago. He passed away in 2020, but he stepped down in 2015. Um, he's one year older than my father. But he built a vehicle that had started off, you know, asset management, private equity that now incorporates hedge fund, real estate. It is a company that now has offices everywhere in New York. They primarily focus on real estate. Um, but Bahrain is the general headquarters and remains the general headquarters of uh, InvestCorp in general. Now, their interest in this, I thought, brings a lot of Good and bad things in many ways. Like people just see Gulf and Bahrain. It is a tiny island in the Gulf, yeah? And then they imagine there's just going to be tons of money coming in. But it is it is a fund, right? So, And so what you have when it comes to a general fund like this is that they have high net worth individuals and corporate companies, obviously, that invest money in them to make a return. So they are supposed to manage your wealth. So by that, what I mean is that they can't go there and buy like Mbappe and Haaland and afford to lose a bunch of money because they have a fiduciary obligation to make money for their investors, to make money for their clients. So I don't see this as being, you know, like it, it is, I mean, we're talking about a vulture fund, which is very much how everyone describes Elliot. Um, if you, by the true nature of the term hedge fund, hedge fund is high risk, high reward, you know, but asset management is sort of less risk if you want to talk about it in pure terms. But what I mean to say is that we're going from a hedge fund to another fund. So it's always 
always about making money. The reason why Milan is so attractive right now is because it looks like a sustainable club that knows how to recruit, how knows how to develop, sells off at, at the right amount of money that is making Europe, that is possibly going to win the Scudetto. But it has to be sustainable because nothing makes you money unless it's sustainable. And the point is, is if they're buying at a billion, then it's because they think that it can reach 1.5, 2 billion eventually, that there's room there, which is great for Serie A because they obviously think it's a league worth investing in and that there's so much more that can grow. On that front, we can be happy. As to long term, this will only be viable for them as long as it makes money and is growing in the assets. So if it doesn't, then it will be sold off. This isn't, like you said, you know, a plaything. This is not Moratti. This is not Abramovich. Just say, I'll just cover the, the money. You know, don't worry about it. Just guys play because I want you to win lots of trophies. It's not like that. There is a fiduciary obligation there to make money for investors. So that is that is the difference between having a state um, sort of run club and one like this. But what I also wanted to say about all of this as well is, um, don't you think a billion is... 1.1 billion is totally overpriced for Milan. You think it's overpriced? Well, think about it. I mean, 1.1 billion euros. So I don't know, that's what, 1.3, 1.2 billion dollars. Yeah. Real Madrid is 4.7 and it has a stadium <laughs> and lots of assets, like real estate assets, you know. But I'm not, like Milan has no stadium. So what are you buying for 1.1 billion? Just the brand? Yeah, it's exactly what you're buying. You're buying a brand. And I, I think that's, you're buy, well, it's not all you're buying. You're buying a brand. You're buying access to huge marketing marketing potential for yourself and your clients. But you are also buying access to the Champions League market. You're buying access to the European football market. You're buying access to the sort of, it's not just commercial sway. It's the emotional power that football has over communities and and what that is. And Milan are internationally still, I think, the best recognised Italian club. Whether or not it's the right price alongside prices of Real Madrid, I, I feel like, honestly, I, mean, I think you're probably better qualified to answer that than I am. But do I think it's a club with enormous value because of the brand? Yes, I do. Definitely. Well, I say this because, I mean, when I think of like sort of Barcelona, um, Real Madrid, Liverpool, you know, very, very big brands, let's say um, Manchester United, I think is the biggest actually English brand. Is that what oh, they, by far still. By, by far, far, right? We're talking mm. about a club that revenues haven't even hit 300 million. We're talking about revenues near the 1 billion, 800 million for the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United. So that's a huge <laughs> distance in terms of revenue. Like I'm going to spend, if I spend 4 billion, let's say on Madrid, yeah, 4.5 billion in Madrid, they're making me around a billion a year. So I'm thinking to myself, Five years, you know, I've basically made my money back, right? You know, um, and that's on top of the fact that I have assets. I have, you know, a training ground that is in like I have a training ground. I have a whole stadium. That's what how many thousands of people can sit in it? You know, the Camp Nou is ninety thousand. And then I just think of Milan, and I think we still don't know if they can build a stadium. There's still lots of red tape. Even when I have that asset, it's going to be shared with Inter. My revenues haven't reached three hundred million. And how long is that growth going to be? Like, what other things? What if the growth degree goes? Because gravity, like, you know, at the end of the day, the Italian FA want to take away the growth degree, which does bring in a lot of foreigners. And I get this whole thing where they're trying to, like, help with the Italians, you know, playing more football. But it also takes away a lot of luster from Serie A. So on that occasion, I, for me, 1.1 billion as a corporate, even Forbes, Deloitte, they, they value it around 600 billion, million. So under a billion. billion. Yeah. So I just feel like to me, it's totally overpriced, but I can understand Elliot also wanting to make money on that. Okay, this is the time in the show where we do shout outs to our new Chronicles to Fozy Patreons. Is that how I say it? No, patrons, right? Sorry. This is the part in the show where we do our shout outs to our new Chronicles to Fozzy patrons. And we say thank you for your continued support, continued support. I actually can't speak at the moment, but just bear with me, guys. Um, <laughs> so we just want to say thank you for helping us continue this pod. Obviously, there is a lot of uh, hard work that goes into it and a lot of people's time. So your support greatly helps us. 
And let's let's think of the, the few that have uh, joined on board and, and give a quick shout out to them. That's David Johnston, Stuart McMillan, Bilal Mirza, Callan, Eddie. Oh, look at you, Jill. There's people like you. <laughs> and Marco Montilla. We've also got Nathan Fisher, Kyle Baginobashin, Asari Mohammed, Peter Bittman, and Giancarlo Anese. Is that Marco Montilla or Montilla? It might be Montilla. Mm. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are so totally. But I mean, this this happens a lot with my name. You know, people said they're going Razuki, Riz, and it just gets into like you know hideousness. I still haven't corrected CNN. It's been ten years. I'm constantly asked if I'm related to Franco Baldini, who has a different surname. <laughs> it's just it's just a different name. I, it's close. I appreciate that, but it's not the same name. So, oh god, that made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> anything else that you want to mention? We do want to say congratulations to Inter. That's three wins in a row. Amazing performance. We can really see Barella being back, Brozovic being back. You know, it is Spezia. I get that, but actually. To be honest with you, it, it really looks like uh, Lautaro Martinez has a point to prove and, and long may it continue because it's always nice to see a good attack being able to take off. Yeah, I think other results, not particularly a surprising result, but Fiorentina beating Venezia, Venezia losing again. Venezia, I just, it crossed my eye just now when I was looking at this, the sort of the standings for this uh, calendar year, very much bottom of that table. They've only got five points in 2022, kind of way behind everyone actually at the bottom of the this year standing. So Venezia, after all of our positive feelings about them and their stadium earlier in the season, looking like they are pretty doomed. At the moment it's looking like that bottom three, Genoa, yeah. Venezia and Slerdnitana, they're all looking pretty sunk. But Slerdnitana did win. Yeah. So maybe there is um time yet, but that just not goes much to show you that Marco Giampaolo <laughs> I feel like this poor man. I'm so sorry, Marco. You deserve so much more, but I just really don't like your football. Head up and play football, Mina. Also, well done to Torino, but I'm not sure whether to say well done or not, because Lazio did come back and get a last minute equaliser. I guess who I really want to say to you is Pietro Pellegri got his goal for Torino. Huge moment for the youngster. Um, who came on for Belotti and managed to put Torino ahead, but they couldn't hold on to it. And it's another draw for Torino. But for Lazio, it's interesting because I think there's a blueprint for how you can stop them. You can't stop Ciro Immobile. Well. Unless it's the national team. <laughs> I was going to say, just put him in an Italy shirt. Um, I shouldn't. I should, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sad, guys. Some things are just sad. I know. Um, right. I think that is... Um, Enough for us today. We'll be back on Friday with the Chronicles Q&A mailbag show, as well as joining our Patreon membership, which is one way you can support the podcast. Another way you can support the podcast, if you're so inclined, is to leave us a one-time tip via Ko-fi. Just click the button that is right there, along with the Patreon button on the Syria Chronicles website, syriachronicles.com. Uh, you can send us a question for the Q&A show via the website or on Twitter at Syriacronpod. You can find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini and at Mina Rizuki. And please do also subscribe to the Syria Chronicles YouTube channel for video updates of the show. And that's it for today. We will be back at the end of the week. I'm losing track of where we are in the week, yeah, Easter, but this week we'll be back. With our Q&A podcast on Friday. You're just high. You're high on sugar, Nikki. (laughs) (laughs) More chocolate eggs. I'm off to go hunt some down now. To get us underway in the shootout, Mario Balotelli faces his Manchester City teammate. And he coolly slots it past Joe Hart. He rarely misses. Stephen Gerrard. Brilliantly done for the captain. Absolutely no mistake. And relief for Roy Hodgson. Montalivo, the midfielder, has missed. Joe Hart doesn't need to make the save. 
delight for the England fans. Wayne Rooney can put England ahead in the shootout here. No mistake from their number 10. Sends Buffon the wrong way. Joe Hart desperately trying to put off Andrea Pirlo. But he's been the best player on the pitch today. Oh my word, that's wonderful. Everyone applauds that. Ashley Young. Denied by the bar. Buffon goes the wrong way again. But England have missed one now. Network.